I came into the organization and said, hey, I'm here to listen. I'm not here to shake things up immediately. I'm not here to change up all kinds of stuff. I felt like that was the right way to do it. I was wanting to treat people really well and say, hey, I want to learn from you. You teach me about the business. You teach me about your customers. You teach me about all these kinds of things. What I underestimated was that people needed leadership more than they needed an outlet to be listened to. Whenever there's a change, everyone's looking around and saying, do I have confidence and do I have trust in who they are and in what they're saying? And it's very unsettling. It's very unsettling. I'm Sean Ritchie, the CEO of NClouds. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Sean Ritchie is leading the charge to accelerate innovation by offering high performance solutions for your cloud journey. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Sean Ritchie has lived in Salt Lake City for 20 plus years. He grew up in Phoenix, but decided it was too hot to live there. He started his first company 20 years ago and has had some major successes selling later ventures to WeWork. Outside of tech, he's married with four kids, and he loves the mountains and outdoors, enjoying snowboarding, skiing, and hiking. In 2022, Sean set out to accomplish a new goal. He put together the financial resources to acquire an organization with the goal of transforming it into a premier services company by leading and growing people to the next level. This is Sean's creation story at InClouds. NClouds is a cloud engineering services company. We are a top tier Amazon Web Services AWS partner. And so we do all of our work for our customers on AWS. We really work as extensions to our customers all throughout North America in their cloud journey. We help support them. We help be a, an advocate in that AWS ecosystem and can do some really cool things and you know, you know, fun things provide some really amazing resources, both from our company and also from AWS. So all my other experiences, I've, I've been the founder and been CEO of, of, of those companies. But what I wanted to do next, right, after that experience of selling to WeWork, I personally wanted to focus more on building people 
than building product. I wanted to build people, which were basically had to be a services organization. I said, okay, great. Services company wanting to build people over product, help other companies build their products. And then again, very strategically put together this plan and said, okay, this is where I want to go. I want to go do. And to be perfectly honest, founding or starting a services organization and getting all the certifications, credentials and all that kind of stuff takes a significant amount of time. And I said, if I'm going to be able to build people and I'm going to be able to help our customers achieve their goals the fastest way, how can I do that? And the answer to me was, let's go find a smaller services organization built on this cloud with a lot of all of that great engineering kind of talent and let's help scale that organization. And that was almost a year and a half ago. And so that's how I've come into NClouds and I effectively acquired the business and said, okay, I've actually done the entrepreneurial journey and I know how this goes. I've done businesses that have been mostly opportunistic. I kind of feel like there are four different paths and none greater or worse than any other in entrepreneurship. One is a strategic organization. And this is where you can see the landscape and understand, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put together all these different resources because there's an opportunity in the market and I see that and I've understood the landscape of what the market is and here's how I'm going to craft this. And it may not be visionary, but it's very strategic. And you've got to put people, you've got to put capital, you've got to find the right market opportunity, you've got to find the white space and go after that. That's what NClouds is. It's a very strategically driven organization. And it takes a little bit of, of kind of understanding of that market landscape, all those kinds of dynamics to be able to do that. And I'm really excited to build this organization into one of the preeminent cloud engineering services companies in North America. So I typically ask about, you know, what the MVP looks like. You know, I know you've been about a year and a half. You you acquired the business. What did the first version of InClouds look like when you got it? You know, how long did it take you to come up with that plan you're referring to? And what sort of tools were you using to really drive that home? If you think about an MVP, it's minimum viable product. If I think about that and I and I apply it to acquiring or kind of grow, you know, growing or acquiring and then growing a services organization, how does that look? And the answer to that is I actually looked at about three or actually about four or five different organizations, different companies that weren't quite the right fit. If I think about the product as a company, as a, an organization, because that's what I love doing. I love building organizations and putting the puzzle pieces to build an organization. It's okay, what doesn't work, right? What hasn't worked before? And the minimum viable product is okay. I live in Salt Lake City, like I mentioned. This organization was actually based in the Bay Area in California. Finding an organization that says, okay, this organization, it lines up with, let's just say nine out of 10, of all the criteria that needs to fit. This is the basic criteria. NCLOUDS is AWS focused, has a strong history of working with Bay Area startups, Silicon Valley startups, scaling organizations, so then therefore I can keep growing. So really, I think it's that, like that. the MVP is like identifying this company and I got super excited about it and I'm still excited about it and I still 100% believe that, that, that this was the, the company upon which to build a lot more into the future because it just aligned all of those kinds of things. It had a great market fit, great market presence, 
all the fundamentals that it needed. And I think MVPs are really about the fundamentals. It's not about the bells and whistles. It's about the fundamentals of what you, you're going to offer to your customers. And so, so that's what kind of MVP looks like. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble, super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash code story. Okay, so then that's the MVP. How are you planning to progress the product or how have you progressed it? And when I say product, the company, the, the business, the organization, how have you progressed it and matured it? And I think about, I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you went about building your roadmap, that plan you mentioned of, you know, this is the next most important thing to address or to create within clouds. What we've had to do is we've had to put processes and structures in place so that we can scale the organization. We're not scaled yet, but we're planning on doing that. And like I said, through through organic and through inorganic means, meaning we can grow in organically the company and the revenues and which are really the outcomes for our customers. We've had to put in place processes so that we can regularly and systematically achieve the right outcomes for our customers. As a services organization, anyone who's in software development or technology or really in any kind of company, we all know that things will, will, will continue to go wrong, right? Things just blow up. Databases and servers and all those kind of things, like things go wrong. But when those things happen, we need to ask ourselves, have we built the right systems to build trust with our customers and say, we, we know things are going to go wrong, but we've built systems in place that we can recover from and advance towards 
the goal faster. A couple of weeks ago, we actually announced an acquisition of a company called CloudNexa, which is actually a very similar type of company to InClouds, East Coast-based, also AWS-focused. And so as we've been growing and putting systems in place, we've actually acquired another business. We've actually almost doubled the size of our company now, overnight, with an amazing team, with amazing leadership. And we're now collectively putting these organizations together to be able to continue that process of, again, sustainable growth and scaling and those kinds of things. You talked about wanting to to build people and to really dig into that. How have you gone about building or or modifying or, you know, what? how did you go about creating the team that you needed to get this done? And, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? People are complex, but fundamentally, again, when I talk about building people, when we build people, people can then build, their families can build communities, communities can build much larger societies. As we focused on people, what's critical is, especially in a services organization where it's not all about the product, as we don't build the product specifically, our people, of course, are the product, right? We are you know, a services company and we, we do services for our customers. As we build people, we have to focus on career path. We have to focus on training and how do we make people better? How do we help themselves make themselves better through offering different kinds of experiences, deep dive experiences, and gaining both deep and broad. We have to figure out that matrix, right? Because sometimes it's really deep, right? Sometimes people would rather go broad because they want to have a broader experience. And so if we can focus on creating uh, career paths, uh, how people elevate both in the organization and also both in their own career trajectory in, in engineering or this kind of career path, I'm actually not an engineer myself. But some people would rather be the absolute expert in the company, in the ecosystem, in the world on this thing. And they want to really go deep. And when they go deep, then they don't want to be stagnant in their career though, in their earning potential, in their opportunity, they want to actually have more opportunity. Everyone wants to have more opportunity and more advancement, right? But in engineering specifically, sometimes that path leads to management, leads to growth and kind of managing teams and, people and things like that. But other times, people want to be the absolute expert, right? And they don't want to manage teams. They don't want to manage people. They want to manage technology. They want to manage the systems and the, thing, the things that, that they're doing. But they shouldn't be limited if they don't want to go into, example, in, into a management path. And so creating that structure, I think, is really fundamental to honestly to any organization, but especially to one like we have. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud native software on AWS, Google Cloud or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud cost, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, 
like with Netlify or Vercel Edge Functions or Cloudflare Workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With the developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for CodeStory listeners. Head over to terso.tech CodeStory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash CodeStory. Terso. Welcome to the Data Edge. Are you building this organization, the services organization, towards scalability? And are you doing, are you doing it efficiently, or is there areas where you having to fight it as you grow? And you know, services traditionally is is hard to scale. So I'm curious about how how you do that. Services traditionally is harder to scale. Why? Because if you think about Reed Hoffman's concept of blitz scaling, you don't blitz scale a services organization. You don't really do that. This is not uh, the aforementioned WeWork. This is not Uber, right? This is not Airbnb, right? These are examples of LinkedIn. Right? Let's look at LinkedIn, the company that he founded. When you blitz scale an organization, you have to throw in an incredible amount of money and you don't worry about unit economics. You don't worry about profitability. You don't worry about some of those kinds of things because the goal is to simply scale and get more revenue at all costs. And it's literally at all costs. Well, turns out that style has gone out of favor over the last, uh, call it year and a half, two years. The WeWork stock price is an, 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 a one indication of that. And, and, and you certainly can't blitz scale a services organization. You have to grow a services organization linearly in software and the allure of SaaS or software is that you've got these really high gross margins and theoretically, if we cut off all sales and marketing, then the ownership or the investors or whoever would have this long tail of high margin cash flows that would, yes, diminish over time, but it would be very cash flow profitable to the owners of the company. That's why the allure of SaaS and software has been so great. But if you look at the reality of what that is, you look at the granddaddy of them all, Salesforce itself. Salesforce, I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere around 35 to 40% of its revenues still goes towards sales and marketing. So the allure that investors have around SaaS is, is actually based on a relatively false premise, but a services organization, you have to grow linearly because it's, it's based on a gross margin, right, of the company and the services that we do. How do we scale that? We have to do better at sales and marketing. We have to go get more customers and offer more customers more value and continue to invest in those relationships. And that's how we grow our business. Of course, we can also grow through acquisition as well. But this is a combination of both of those, both organic and inorganic. And that's how I feel that we can scale an organization. But you can't do the funny things that tech companies have done in terms of blitz scaling. I was a WeWork employee. I got laid off. I got fired from the company, right? As did many other people because of how that went. And I want to grow this organization sustainably, linearly, with step functions through acquisitions. And I want to do it the right way. And that, at the end of the day, helps people more than it does the product itself. So as you step out on the balcony, Sean, and you look across what you've built thus far, what are you most proud of? 
thus far, we're still fairly early in this process. We're still fairly, we're still fairly young, and there's a lot to figure out still. But if I were to look out on the balcony, I'm I'm really proud about the team that we've put together, the processes that we've put together, and even starting to put together. Because all of that, our main focus is to accelerate the innovation, accelerate adoption, accelerate our customers in their goals, in their objectives, and in their businesses. And if we can do that through the right set of skill sets and engineering and services that we can offer them, then we'll help them get to, to where they want to go faster. In several more years, we'll be able to look back on a much larger organization and, and a you know much better organization throughout throughout the company here. But I'm really excited about the team that we've put together because it's all about fielding a team. Every CEO, like what that's one of the, their main roles, is putting together the right team. And I think we feel that a really good team will continue to grow and scale and field more, more and better of a team in different capacities. But that's where we have to start. And if that team lives and talks about and believes in the set of kind of core principles or values, if you call it, and if we adhere to that, we will be successful. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. I know it's still early days, but tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Upon entering this new organization, NClouds, right? Been in business 13 years, good history, good people and processes. I came into the organization and said, hey, I'm here to listen. I'm here to listen and to learn. I'm not here to shake things up immediately. I'm not here to change up all kinds of stuff. I'm here to listen and to learn. I felt like that was the right way to do it. I was wanting to treat people really well and say, hey, I want to learn from you. You teach me about business. You teach me about your customers. You teach me about all these kinds of things. What I underestimated was that people needed leadership more than they needed an outlet to to be listened to. Whenever there's a change in an, in, in, in an organization, everyone's looking around for what is the leadership? What are they saying? Do I have confidence and do I have trust in, in who they are and in what they're saying? And then of course that needs to be proven out over time. And it's very unsettling. It's very unsettling. It was hard for me when I went through that process. I recognized the difficulty and the challenge of that. But again, what I underestimated to a significant degree was the amount of leadership that they needed and, and that they were craving. And while yes, it's good to listen, it's good to it's good to be responsive and to be helpful and to learn all that kind of stuff from the leadership. All that stuff is good. But what's better is to actually lead. Right? What's better is to set direction, set the intention and the goals and the priorities. Because everyone is looking to the leadership to offer that, to, to say that, to set that. Because then they can say, okay, this is great. We're going to go. Give me the direction that we need to go. Help me understand how I need to, to contribute to that. And, and, and there's always some folks that, that it's like, you know what? That's not really for me. It's not really what, what I want to do. Not what maybe I signed up for. I can just go do something else. That's totally fine. That's great. But for the most or for the majority of the people, they just need that leadership. And they need the goals and directions set as quickly as possible. That's a good learning moment for me. So this will be fun. And you've laid out plans. You know where you want to go. It's early days, but I'm curious what the future looks like for InClouds and for your team. What the future looks like is nothing but success, nothing but roses, nothing but unicorns. It's going to be absolutely amazing. <laughs> That's what the future looks like. No. We announced this acquisition of CloudNexa only a couple of weeks ago. We have a lot of work to do. 
We're largely going to be keeping things running as they are, like no major changes and things like that. But changes always come. Right? Changes always happen. And, and we want to combine the organizations and, and continue with the best, right? And there's other things that we want to leave behind. Practices, less effective structures. But as we come together, we have to be able to lean in. We have to be able to trust each other. I'm not a stand-up comedian. We have some stand-up comedians on our staff, actually, who I love. But when you're thinking about stand-up comedy, or you're thinking about improv comedy more specifically, the fundamental rule of improv comedy is yes and. It's always yes and. Because if you're doing improv and you lean out and you say no or you mean no, you stop the whole thing. Everything stops. There's no more comedy. There's no more momentum. You stop it if you say no. So you have to say yes. Yet wherever they ended up, wherever they stop, you have to say yes. I'm going to pick that up right there, and I'm going to go here. Right. So I'm not equating necessarily business to improv comedy, but what I am doing is saying that in any kind of an integration or acquisition or combination, anything like that, everybody throughout the organization. Has to say yes and, and that's what I'm most looking forward to. To continue to build a culture of yes, and how can I contribute, and how can I pick up the baton? That's a hard thing to get to. It is not a natural process. It's difficult. It's hard when you're bringing two organizations together. You have to say yes and. I see you. I hear you. I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Let me add to that. Let me build upon that. Rather than tearing down, rather than being selfish, I have to be selfless. I have to say, okay, you do it different than me. Let's figure out how to meet in the middle. Let's figure out how to do it your way. Maybe I can learn something from how you've done this thing. Again, whether it's going to bed, getting up, making meals, starting a family, whatever that is, you have to say yes and. So anyway, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Let's switch to you, Sean. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. There was a film several years ago, the Will Smith film, The Pursuit of Happiness. So he sees the guy with the car, with the family, with the job, and he's like, "How do I get what you have?" A lot of cultures see it the opposite way. A lot of cultures, it's the opposite, and say, "I see what you have, and you shouldn't have that." I want to destroy you. I want to take what you have. That should be mine. It's not fair. Whatever. I feel like the world should look at those things as, hey, how do I get to where you are? How do I build? How do I create? How do I how do I get there? I want to be there. There are local entrepreneurs, right, in, in our community, right? I'll name two: Davis Smith and Jeremy Andrus. Davis Smith built a company called Cotopaxi. He's been on all the Guy Ross shows, and he's a great entrepreneur. Has built a great organization, right? Jeremy Andrus has done the same thing. In fact, I've actually modeled a few things. When I was earlier in, in in my career, I look at what different people are doing, right? Who have built great organizations, but who continue to evolve. Those are a few, right? Kind of leaders, CEOs, founders. But I, I also look at other kind of national figures, right? Teddy Roosevelt. He did some pretty amazing things as well. There's the man in the arena. It was a speech that he gave,、uh, but often quoted. The man in the arena. When I was in college, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, I read a book about Sandy Weil, who put together Citibank. Jamie Dimon was the junior banker. 
there. And anyway, Sandy Weiland ended up kicking Jamie Dimon out of the company because of conflict and stuff like that. And you look at Jamie Dimon now as the uh, most recognizable banker in the world. So yes, those are some of the people that I can look at and look forward to emulating because they take care of people. They just got to do it the right way, I feel. Okay, last question, Sean. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit in several different ways? I really like this framework around being clear about what kind of entrepreneurial journey you want to have. Because honestly, products come and go. Businesses come and go, right? A lot of different things will evolve. The new, the big new thing is not going to be the big new thing in maybe a year, maybe in two years, maybe in 10, maybe in 20 years. More importantly, I think, is know what kind of entrepreneurial journey you're going down and be true to that because I didn't know. Early on in my career, I didn't know. And people would ask me, what do you want to do with your company? What do you, where do you want to go? And I would say, we're going to grow. We're going to whatever. I didn't know the answers to a lot of these questions about what I wanted to do. In fact, my first experience about even uh, talking to private equity firms about selling a, you know, selling a company, and I was considering private equity. And I remember one question that they asked, they said, do you want to sell a majority of the business or do you want to sell a minority of the business? And I didn't know the difference between that. It's a huge difference, but I didn't know the difference. And I said, oh, either way, either way is fine. And they were looking at me like, you don't know what the difference is. It's, it's a big difference between selling a majority of the company and not being a decision maker anymore or selling a minority of your company and maintaining control and, and decision-making authority. That, that, that's a big difference between the two. I didn't know the difference between them. And I didn't know where I really wanted to go. I guess that's what the advice that I would give is just know which, which kind of journey that you intend to embark on and build and create it appropriately. Oh, that's fantastic advice. Well, Sean, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story, your creation story at InClouds. Sure, appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.